All right, you guys, welcome back to the Connection Point Worldview Podcast. We've just cleared our throats and uh, taken a big swig of water <laughs> to make sure we're good to go, bring you the best we possibly can. This is a podcast designed to help you as a parent or guardian or leader go deeper into places that your student has already gone. My name is Ron. I'm here with Dr. Zach Breitenbach and Pastor Trey Shigley. They head up our Worldview Department at Connection Point Christian Church, and uh, right now, uh, you guys are in a series with the eighth graders. Uh, you started a special worldview series um, on sexual morality and identity. So uh, can you kind of fill us in? Tell us what this series aims to do and what the topic was for the, the first week. Yeah, so the series is is emphasizing how God's word is our guide to moral living and particularly about uh, sexual ethics. Um, so we want to emphasize that morality is rooted in God. It's not something that we invent, and that includes uh, our sexual morality, too, and our sexual identity. Uh, so we'll be talking about uh, boundaries for sex that are designed by God and how these are, are good for us. They're not just there to spoil our fun. Um, and uh, talking about identity, especially how our, our sexual identity is is not subjectively determined by us. So we started off with this first lesson, kind of talking about uh, some foundational stuff that that uh, if without God, we wouldn't have a basis for there being objective morality at all. We didn't really use and define the term objective with them. Right. Um, we'll kind of get into how we, we phrased it, but, but objective kind of means it doesn't depend on human opinion. And that's what we wanted to show this first week is morality is th- there is a moral law and it doesn't depend on us. Uh, and also, how do we know the moral law? Well, Scripture is our guide to learning this moral truth. Jesus believed that uh, the Bible is God's word. It's our moral guide uh, and that uh, we don't create our own moral law. We don't create our own identity. So that's going to set us up for next week where we're going to get into talking about some of the details here about uh sort of the, a lot of the controversy in gender identity and uh, and just sort of the boundaries for sexual behavior. Uh, we're uh, talking about marriage being that proper boundary and some of what the Bible says. But we had to set up, first of all, why should we uh, listen to the Bible and see that as our source of truth? And then in the last week of the series, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what happens if you go outside those boundaries. What happens if you've already messed up? What happens if people around you have messed up? How do you speak truth and love to those people? How do you deal with your own possible shame and that kind of thing? So that's kind of where we're going in the in the three weeks. Man, that's no better topic, no harder topic, super important. Um, so the first lesson set the stage by establishing that God is the standard of morality. The Bible reveals God's moral law, and we should recognize that God's law is for our good. You began with an illustration to get them thinking in that direction. Trey, you wanna tell us about that? Yeah, so we used an illustration of a corn maze. So if if you're here in Indiana, then uh, you've probably been to a corn maze at some point in your life. Um, I still need to work on Zach. Apparently, he's never been in a corn maze. Oh, come on. So, uh, yeah, we're going to have to work on that this next year. Uh, but uh, uh, if you are ever in a maze and get stuck, it can be disorienting. You don't know where to go. Um, and in our lives, we are in kind of a, a maze of morality. We often don't know what to do, um, what is the right decision, what is right, what is wrong, and we're, um, you know, we're presented with choices constantly 
of what direction to turn and what to do. And uh, just like if you're stuck in a corn maze, the best way to uh, kind of get help is to have a guide and preferably a guide that can actually see the whole maze and see where you are in it. So they kind of know the whole thing. They see everything. But then also you don't want just someone who can see everything and, and knows where you're at. Um, but they also need to want your best because uh, we, we use an illustration like if your little sibling is stuck in a maze, maybe you're going to give them wrong directions on purpose because you just want them to be lost and you're, you're going to just cause a little bit of uh, mayhem. But uh, So you want someone to guide you who knows the truth and who loves you enough to tell you the truth, uh, not someone who's going to sugarcoat it or someone who's going to uh, point you down the wrong direction because they don't know exactly uh, the, the whole picture. But because uh, that's that's kind of the uh, picture of a corn maze that's helpful for us when talking about morality. Well, speaking of the truth, you, you did a bit of review from last fall's middle school series by defining truth and making some points about truth. Zach, you, you unpack that one for us? Yeah. So last fall we talked about uh, what is a worldview and what is truth. And we kind of got into the details of this. So this was a bit of a review, but it was important because we're building off of that. With, with this lesson. So we talked about, again, how truth is what matches up with reality. Um, so if we say, uh, my phone is in my hand, what makes that true? Well, just that your phone is actually in your hand. That makes that a true statement. And then we talked about how some truths are about personal opinions or personal beliefs, and your own opinion can make it true uh, in some cases, right? So for example, if, if I think cookies and cream ice cream is the best tasting ice cream, which I do. Uh, that's true. It's true to say Zach's favorite ice cream is cookies and cream. And what makes that true? Well, just my own personal preference makes it true. It corresponds to reality because that's what I really prefer. Uh, and we called this, instead of calling this subjective kind of truth, uh, to avoid uh, too much terminology, we yeah. just called this opinion truth, right? Yeah. That's a little easier to digest. It's a whole lot of opinion truth today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and some of it really is opinion truth. Right. It really is based on somebody's opinion. But then we said, you know, that's not always the case, right? There's a lot of truths that do not depend on what anybody thinks. And we would normally call these objective truths, right? Um, but we call these non-opinion truths. Um, so these are things that, that are true regardless of what any human thinks about it. For example, uh, the earth is round. If that's true, I'm pretty sure it is, um, it's true regardless of whether, you know, anybody believes it. And the people that think the earth is flat, well, they're just wrong, right? So the, the truth about this is not based upon anyone's uh, opinion. Um, and then we talked about how there has to be truth. Like you can't deny that there's truth. Uh, some people like to say things like there is no truth, but in doing that, they're making a truth claim, uh, which, which is kind of a problem yeah. uh, for them. <laughs> so, um, so we try to establish there is truth. There's, uh, there's truths about objective and subjective matters, you know, ones that depend on opinions and, and ones that, that don't. So now you transitioned into talking specifically about moral truth. You pointed out how some people think that moral claims are all just personal opinion. H how do we know that isn't true, Trey? Yeah, that, that is a common claim you might hear. It's like, well, okay, well, science has things that aren't based on opinion, things like gravity, things like the, you know, the earth being round. Um, but morality, those are all just personal opinions. You know, it just depends from person to person. Uh, you can't really make a moral claim um, that is kind of non 
objective. Uh, but you can because take the statement like sex outside of marriage is wrong for everyone because it's against God's moral law. And so this isn't uh, what, what would make this false, right? Isn't whether someone thinks it's false. Mm-hmm. What would make this false if, is if there is no God who doesn't have a moral law that makes this claim. And then what makes it true also isn't whether people believe it or not. What makes it true would be there's a God who has a moral law, and that moral law says sex outside of marriage is wrong for everyone. And so you can definitely make moral claims that don't depend on opinion. And so uh, that kind of counter-argument kind of falls flat on its face there. Hmm. Well, one way that we sense kind of the reality of the moral law is that we all make moral criticisms. So uh, what'd you say about that, Zach? Yeah, this is just something we, as part of our everyday life, we see things all around us and we we say that's wrong Hmm. or that's good. Um, and we don't take this to be a subjective kind of thing where it's all about opinion. We, when we really reflect on the way our moral sense apprehends things, we, we know that we don't really take uh, morality to be like that, to mm-hmm. be a subjective thing. You know, so for example, if, if, if I say cookies and cream is the best ice cream um, and somebody else says, well, no, that, you, that is incorrect, uh, you are sadly mistaken, that is, that is wrong. That would be kind of weird, right? Mm-hmm. Because we recognize that that's a very subjective thing. One pe- person might think cookies and cream is the best. Somebody else might like a different flavor. And there's no real right and wrong answer about this. It's, mm-hmm. it's a matter of opinion. But we, we don't apprehend morality that way in our moral sense. Um, for example, when, when Hitler thinks it's okay or, or even good to, to kill six million Jews, and if if someone were to criticize that and say no, that's that's incorrect, that's mistaken, that that is wrong. Um, that doesn't seem weird because uh, this is not a subjective matter, right? This is not a matter of opinion. We we recognize that we all make moral criticisms of the sort that you wouldn't make uh, about subjective things. Mm. Um, and so we gave some examples as well, like fairly extreme examples, because uh, it's just easier to see. Um, that that clearly there are moral truths that that we recognize are are not opinion. Things like you know, nine eleven, right? Um, Al Qaeda, Osama bin Laden. They might think, well, that was a good thing. We did it for Allah. We this was good. Um, but is that opinion just as valid as, as any other? Um, if somebody abducts children and sells them and thinks, well, I'm making a lot of people happy. These people that buy these children are very happy, and this is great. And uh, is that opinion just as valid as one that would say, no, this is this is really wrong? Um, there were a couple uh, brothers in Oklahoma that, that killed their parents and a bunch of their siblings, and, and when they were caught, they said they did it to be famous. They killed somebody for fame. They killed their family for fame. Is that opinion just as valid that this was okay, they did it, they just did it for fun, for fame, as, as any other? It, we just... We don't take morality to be that way. Um, even entire cultures can go wrong, right? We, we see that, like with the Nazi culture or the Canaanite culture who had sacrificed their children, which we read about in the, in the Bible. Um, sometimes people say, well, we, we can't criticize another culture. That's just, you know, how they, they do things and uh, to each his own. And cultures can be different and, and we can't criticize their culture. 
Well, I think we can. I think we can say, well, this is this is horrible. Um, this whole culture has has gone astray morally. Um, so that was kind of the first point: is morality is not uh, a subjective thing, and we we all recognize that through uh, making moral criticisms, which seem proper for us to make. Hmm. And then I liked this. In addition to making moral criticisms, we all make moral comparisons. So how does this show that we believe there's a real moral standard? Also, what you know, what must that standard be be like, Trey? Yeah, we we do make moral comparisons. So say uh, you take Mother Teresa, which a surprising amount of students did not know who Mother Teresa was. It's like, man, we need to talk about Mother Teresa more often or something. <laughs> um, but someone like Mother Teresa, who we would say, oh my goodness. She has a much better uh, morality. She lived a much more moral life than someone like Hitler, right? And we can easily see that, but we are comparing two things and saying one is better. But when you get into a comparison, you have to have something you're measuring it against. And so if you're trying to see uh, you've got two pieces of string and you want to see, okay, which one is closer to a yard, well, then you need a yardstick to measure them against. And then you can see which one is closer to a yard. And it's the same thing. We are making moral comparisons. Well, what are we ultimately using as a standard? And uh, that kind of shows us there is a standard that we are all making measurements to. And what must that moral standard be like? And a few things we kind of shared is, well, it must be beyond humanity. You know, it can't be based on what someone thinks or even a whole culture thinks. It's got to be outside of humanity. Uh, but it has to be personal. Like, it has to have a mind. You know, rocks and trees, they don't have morality. Even animals really don't have morality. Um, so it has to be a being with a mind um, who can make decisions and who can um, kind of uh, to, to think in ways kind of like we do. And it also, the moral standard can't change. It can't say, you know, murder is okay today and not okay tomorrow. Or there was a time when murder was okay in the past. Like it cannot be um, changing. And so therefore the standard of it must have been eternal. And as you go through the process of thinking through, well, what must the standard be like? It starts sounding a lot like God, you know, someone who is outside of humanity, someone who is unchanging and eternal, someone who has a, a mind, who is a personal being. Um, and so that's kind of um, by making those comparisons, realizing there's a standard and understanding that standard is going to look something like God. Hmm. Well, after talking about God's as the standard of, of objective moral truth, you talked about how the Bible tells us what that truth is. Uh, Zach, what'd you say about that? Yeah, so God is the standard, but how do we how do we know the standard? Well, one way that we didn't really talk about is through conscience, and I think God mm-hmm. has, in, in Romans it talks about how God's written His moral law in our hearts. So there is that, but there's also uh, the Bible, and and the Bible gives us a lot more details and a lot more specifics on on morality and and uh, uh, the moral law that comes from God. Um, and Jesus took the Bible to be. God's Word. And we talked a little bit about this, but we talked a lot about it with the eighth graders last fall when we did a whole series on the reliability of the Bible. And we talked in detail about Jesus's view 
of the scriptures and how he would say things like not the smallest letter, the least stroke of the pen will will disappear from the law. Uh, he's not come to get rid of the law or the prophets, the whole scripture. Um, so we know all scriptures God breathed. Jesus had this attitude. He would quote from scripture constantly. I mean, even when he was tempted by Satan, he would always quote from the scriptures. Um, so Jesus had this high view of the Bible and he considered it to be God's word and to contain God's moral law. And so we said, well, think about this, right? If Jesus really died and rose again, and we've talked a number of times with the middle schoolers recently about the evidence for the resurrection, if that really happened, if Christianity really is true and Jesus rose from the dead and Jesus believed that the Bible is God's moral law, should we agree with him? And and I think a good policy is to listen to people who come back from the dead. You know, I just think, <laughs> I think that's that's a pretty good policy to adopt, and uh, they seem to agree with me as well. So um, on that basis, I think um, we we should, if we think that Jesus really rose from the dead and we're Christians, and Jesus has this high view of the Bible, we should have the same view of it as well, and think that this is God's. Uh, moral law. And if, if we believe him and that is God's moral law, then we should follow him. But of course, we sometimes find it inconvenient, uh, difficult uh, to follow God's God's commands. There's mm-hmm. that tendency to kind of cherry pick which of God's commands we'll follow. And many people see God just as wanting to ruin our, our fun. Um, what what would you say about that, Trey? Yeah, I, I, I mean, we all have a tendency to cherry pick, and and honestly, we, it's it's easy to feel like we're following God well as long as He's wanting us to do the things we want to do, uh, but when our will or our instincts kind of go against Scripture, that's when we actually have to make the decision of obedience. It's not really obedience until then. Um, and yeah, sometimes we don't want to follow certain rules or laws we find in Scripture. And a lot of this comes back to, I think, an incorrect view of God himself. And we often have suspicions that God doesn't really know what's best for us, or maybe he doesn't want what's best for us. Maybe he's just uh, this kind of authoritarian dictator who doesn't want anyone to have fun and he's just making up all these rules um but really the moral law uh is there to provide for us and to protect us and when we avoid it or when we ignore it we ignore it at our own peril and so we share this story um of a teenager who uh wanted to go swimming in his neighbor's pool and there's no trespassing signs on on the fence, you know, do not enter, but he decides to ignore the instructions, the commands, jumps over the fence, dives into the pool and doesn't realize there is no water in the pool. Ends up being paralyzed um, oh, from the neck down. Yeah, and and it's, it's easy to uh, see that and go, okay, wow, those commands that seem to be restricting his fun actually were there to protect him. Uh, and he ignored it and suffered the consequences. And now that's a very obvious consequence, easy to see, um, and others are harder to see. But every single one of God's commands is for our good. And uh, when we are cherry picking, we're actually hurting ourselves and, and the people around us. So um, you finished up by emphasizing that just like we don't invent the moral law, we're also born with an identity that we don't invent for ourselves. Uh, Zach, you want to sum that up? 
Yeah. So um, we, we made a quick transition at the very end to talk a little bit about identity, setting this up for next week. We're going to talk about you know, sexual moral uh, boundaries and also uh, gender identity and that sort of thing. So we made the point that if, if Christianity is true, then you don't just come into the world as sort of a blank slate with no identity. You can invent yourself to be whoever you want to be. You don't have any kind of a nature, um, that sort of thing. You actually do come into the world with a nature. You do come into the world with a purpose, whether you accept that purpose or not, whether you like the purpose or not, you have a purpose. You have certain things that are true about who you are. That's what we mean by an identity. Um, so things like this, right? You are unconditionally loved by God. You may not like that. Uh, I, I would think most people should like that, but I know not everybody does. Uh, but you are loved by God unconditionally, whether you like it or not. That's just who you are. That's part of reality. Uh, that applies to you. You're created in God's image as a male or female. Uh, as it says in Genesis, God created us male and female in his image, both male and female. You didn't get to pick whether you're male or female, and you didn't get to decide whether you wanted to be made in God's image or not. That's just who you are, and that's how God made you. Um, and your purpose, you didn't get to pick, right? Uh, Jesus said the greatest commands, love God and love other people. That's your purpose. Did you get to pick that? What if you don't like that? Well, you don't have to live out your purpose. You can choose to reject that just like you can reject the warning signs on the swimming pool and, and dive in. But there's consequences when you reject the identity that you have, when you reject the purpose that you have. Um, you're also a rebel separated from God by sin. Um, that's just true about every single one of us. We're all sinners. Maybe we don't want to admit that. Maybe we don't like that. It's still true. Um, we need Jesus to forgive our sins. That's true for all of us. We're all called to live a Christ-like life, whether we like that or not. We're all offered eternity in a perfect place with God, even if we want to reject that. So we can reject this identity, and we can choose to, to live like it's not our identity. But nevertheless, just like there's a moral law that we don't get to pick, and it applies to us whether we want to follow it or not, um, there's an identity that we have, and it applies to us whether we like it or not and whether we want to accept it or not. Um, and so the, uh, we, we talked about that, and then we did a quick wrap-up at the end, and we basically ran through it. And this, this is kind of the sum up what, what we did, right? So we basically, in this lesson, we try to show, well, there's a moral law for all human beings. It's not one that we invent. Uh, this moral law comes from God. Um, Jesus saw the Bible as being the, uh, the moral guide that, that we have, not just for morals, but it, it, it's God's complete word, but it includes moral laws. Um, and we talked about how we should listen to this because Jesus believed uh, the scripture contains God's word. He rose from the dead. We ought to believe him. Um, and then we talked about how we, we don't really get to make up uh, our identity as well as morality. So that, that's kind of the, the groundwork that we laid uh, in this first lesson. That's quite the groundwork. I'm super excited for it next week, too. So, um, listener, as we wrap this up, we want to give you a good discussion question that you could ask your eighth grader uh, about this lesson. So, Trey, what, what, what's a good discussion question for this week? Yeah, I think a great one, uh, because it'll spark, uh, you know, some great discussion will be um, asking them, okay, say a friend says to you, science is fact, but morals are just personal opinion. How would you respond? 
and then just process through that with with your student, the person that you're pouring into. You know, how would you respond to the idea that morals are just personal opinions? Um, and just hash that out, see where it goes. Um, another good question you could toss in there is if Christianity is true, so just assume it's true, why should you follow all of the Bible's moral commands and not just cherry pick? Why would that be best for you? So those are two questions that would, I think, spark good conversation. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, you guys. We'll be back next week with uh, more amazing material that you can use with your student and hopefully good for your own heart, too, as a parent. And um, if you need more information about Connection Point, you can go to cp.church. Get some good questions answered and uh, know we're praying for you. As you listen, we're praying for your students, too. God bless you. We'll be back before you know it.